You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. How's everybody on this uh, nice spring morning? Um, Kathy and I were in Nashville this week visiting grandkids, and it was cold and wet. I don't know if anybody's ever lived in Tennessee in March, but it can be cold and wet. Um, and I think we bring it back with us. <laughs> um, if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, 1 through 11. Uh, does this sound loud to you guys? Okay, sounds loud to me. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And this is what God's Word says. Finally, I'm going to read from the NASB this morning too. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might, might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thank be to God. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, says this, Empty-headed crudility, nativity, ignorance, gullibility, is as great an enemy of true faith as chronic skepticism. Christian faith involves the sober responsibility of neither believing lies nor trusting imposters. I think that's very important for us to remember uh, as we listen in a world that has so much media to presumably give us the Word of God. And um, I think if anybody's read D.A. Carson, I've read just about everything he's ever written, you will know that uh, he stands very solid on Scripture alone. Uh, I love the way that in prayer, Bill gives me certain texts to preach on. <laughs> uh, this whole series says joy. And it's, kind of, it's going to be a tough text. Uh, 
So the title I put, The Joy in Our Salvation is Found in the Truth of Our Salvation. And that's what Paul is going to show us today. So let's look at a little bit of context. We're making a kind of a transition here. We're going from something that was Paul that was tend to be very personal. And now he's going to address the Philippians directly. The context of this really is the, basically the rest of the letter. It goes from 3-1 all the way to the middle, 4-4. We have kind of, in a hermeneutics, we have what we call an inclusio. It kind of tells us what the context is. At the beginning, it says rejoice in the Lord. And about the middle four, it says rejoice in the Lord again. And everything in between, he's addressing uh, a pretty heavy topic. One is watch false teachers and what they teach. Uh, the other is seek Christ and Christ alone and go mature. He may or may not be addressing a disagreement found in 4.2 between two ladies. There's, there's been disagreement on this since uh, the early church. If you go back and, and read some of the, the commentaries from the early church fathers, some will say that the two ladies were, were actually arguing on this point, and I'll get to the point of what they're arguing about here in a minute. Some people say no, and it's, it's kind of been that way all the way through the church. He says... Finally, that's finally the rest of what I'm going to do, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So if I join the Lord, he, he sets that out before he starts to uh, tell everything he wants them to do. He wants them to find joy in everything he says. Then he says in verse 1, to write same things again is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard to you. That sentence is for what, everything that comes, right? I'm going to repeat something to you that I've said before, and it's a safeguard that I keep repeating this. And I think for today, the practicality is the same thing. He's going to lay out a truth to us that he says you should always keep it in the forefront of your mind. What we see in the first couple of verses are two groups. And we could argue in the mind of the Philippians or the Galatians or that time period that they are both, people would assume they're both in Christ. Right? So we're going to see that there's this one group he calls the false circumcision. And I read the NSAB because I really like the way that they looked at the intent of what Paul was saying. He doesn't use the word circumcision there or false, but he, he changes the word because literally it says that these are, literally it says, uh, beware of the dogs, beware of the evildoers, beware of the mutilators, right? And we know that he's talking about circumcision because in the very next thought, he says, for we are the true circumcision. So the NASB will actually translate it or interpret it, uh, false circumcision, and I like that because that's the crux of the problem. The crux of the problem are their believers coming into the church in, in Asia Minor and in, in Greece saying that you need Christ, definitely, but guess what? You need to be circumcised because you really need to be Jew as Jewish as you can get. And without circumcision, your salvation may or may not be any good. Paul calls that mutilation. And we'll get to that. So there's this one group, false circumcision, Paul calls them mutilators, dogs, and evildoers. There's this other side, he says, are the true circumcisions. They worship by the Spirit. They glory in Christ alone. They have no confidence whatever in the flesh. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, where in the world does Paul get this theology? Right? So the one thing we need to look back is, is this new? So this is Philippians. 
right? This is written probably around A.D. 62-ish, 63-ish. Paul got saved probably about A.D. 33-34. Uh, so he's been walking in Christ for almost 30 years. So we need to ask ourselves, is this, is this mindset on false circumcision versus true circumcision something new to Paul? If it is, where did he get it? The answer is it is absolutely not new to Philippians. If you go back to the very first letter that Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's all about circumcision. It's all about what we call Judaizers coming into the church and saying, yeah, you can believe in Christ, but you have to get circumcised. And Paul going, no, 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 no. Galatians was written probably around A.D. 49, so it's 14 years. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but only faith working through love. And the argument that he's trying to get here in the circumcision, I'm going to read one more passage at 6 in a minute. Early on in Galatians, he says to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put this thought in your mind that there's anything better than Christ Jesus? Who are these people coming into your midst and saying, yeah, Christ is good, but you need to be circumcised? And then he warns them that if you do it, you fall under the whole law. And he actually says, you sever ties with Jesus Christ. Whoa. That's serious stuff. Right? Or enjoy. We'll get to that in a minute. The joy is for me understanding the truth of my salvation. Okay? So what is at stake here is going back instead of going forward. In Galatians 6, he says this, but, it, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So he says, I'm going to boast in one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Then he says, verse 15 of Galatians 6, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, the rule of the new creation, peace, mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God. And I'll get back to that term here in a minute. Because once I unpack the rest of this text, I'll come back to this Israel of God. So we're at A.D. 49, right? Very first letter that Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what's he addressing? The false teaching of circumcision. Being that, you, that Jesus was a Jew, that way salvation only comes to the Jews, and you, Gentile, need to become as Jew as you can get, and to do that, you need to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you can't eye it to Christ, because if you get circumcised, guess what? You've got to keep the whole law. And, and to Paul, we'll see, the law is the whole reason he needs Christ. And so what I want to do is, I'm going to go one more place, and then I want to look at where in the, Paul, where in the world does Paul get this idea? So go, if you got your Bible, go to Romans chapter 2, verses 26 through 29. And the whole argument is around circumcision. Verse 26 says, so if the uncircumcised man, he's talking about an uncircumcised Gentile believer, 
keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law, so now he's comparing an uncircumcised Gentile to a, a Israelite, having the letter of the law and circumcision as a transgressor of the law? From a Jewish ear, he's saying, an uncircumcised Gentile will tell me if I'm right or wrong? And the Jews would say, that can't be, right? That's the whole reason they're saying you need to get circumcised because it's all about the law. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Where does Paul get this idea that outward circumcision is just a sign, and what God really wants is a circumcision of the heart? Is that new? Did Paul just make this up? So we're going to see a little later. Paul is a Pharisee. He knows the Old Testament Scripture, and he knows the law, the five, first five books of the Bible, very, very well. And what's amazing about this, because we sometimes don't look at this, Paul, because he understands the Old Testament, knows exactly what he's saying. He's saying what God wants is a circumcision of your heart, and that is not new theology. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse, I'm going to start in verse 15. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all people as it is this day. So, verse 17, so circumcise your what? Heart. And stiffen your neck no longer. So he's contrasting you stiff-necked people. What you need is a circumcision of your heart. This is God speaking. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord is capital L-O-R-D. We translate that Yahweh. That's not how the Israel pronounce it. They would not pronounce it. It was four letters. They never said it because it was the highest reverence of God they could have, so it was unspeakable. It was just a symbol. Okay. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. And why does he circumcise our heart? To love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. So what Deuteronomy teaches us is that a circumcision of the heart removes the skin of a hard heart and makes it have the ability to love God. Physical circumcision does nothing but remind us that we need a spiritual circumcision. Is what Deuteronomy, that's how Paul is translating Deuteronomy, that's how he translated into Galatians, 
into Philippians, into Corinthians, into Romans. What he tells us in, in, in Deuteronomy 5 and 6, that the circumcision of the heart is not because Israel has it in itself to follow God, but because God will circumcise their hearts and enable them to love God. Israel had no ability to love God. They proved that over and over and over again. And he kept saying, you do all these works, you do all these things, and you rebel against me. What you need is a circumcision of the heart. Make your heart no longer hard so that you can love me, and I will do that. Jeremiah chapter 4. If you return, O Israel, Israel I'm going to start in verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you should return to me. And if you'll put away your detested things from my presence and will not waver, and you will swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, then nations will, be, will bless themselves in him, and in him they will glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judea and to Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judea and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else, if you don't do this, or else my wrath, wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 23 through 26. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised, yet uncircumcised. He's talking about Israel. Egypt and Judea and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab, all these people, other people had circumcision, right? God showed it as a covenant relationship with him. Inhabitants the desert who clipped their hair in their temples, for all the nations are uncircumcised, get this, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. So you see where Paul gets all this? You see the brilliance of the day on the road to Damascus when Jesus just comes in his full glory and just hits Paul over the head? Why are you persecuting my church? Right? God in all his sovereignty knew that as his church grew, people will come into it and say, you need something more than Christ. And who better to tell them you are absolutely wrong than Paul? We'll see that in a minute. In one of his letters, he says, I was greater than all my contemporaries. All my contemporaries looked at me because I was the greatest of all teachers at that time, and I was young, and I had zealous, and I was famous. We would call him a celebrity pastor today. Hate that word. But that's what Paul said about himself. And Christ took him and used him because think of the strength that he has to confront these Judaizers. And see where he got it. He didn't make this up. He interpreted the Old Testament for us, bring it into the New Testament, and said what man needs is a circumcision of the heart, and you only get that through God alone, through the Holy Spirit. That's Ezekiel, the New Covenant, 
in Ezekiel, right? There will come a time when I will reach into your heart, take out that heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, put my Holy Spirit among you. I shake every time I think about that. He's putting a circumcised heart into me by Christ alone so that I can love God. Because before that, I can't love God. I could be a Jew and not love God with an uncircumcised heart. That's what Paul's saying. I, everyone, Jew or Gentile, slave or non-slave, Greek or not Greek, we all need Jesus. Fourteen years he's been preaching this. Fourteen years Jewish Christians, part of them are saying, you're wrong. You're wrong, Paul. You're wrong. And so Paul in Philippians, 14 years later, the last time he addresses this to a church, says, you guys are dogs. Now, we think of dog as a house pet. The Jews hated dogs. Dogs were defiling. They ate the dead. They vomited. They ate their own waste. The, there was no place as a house pet for a dog in a Jewish system. That's why it calls. So if I'm sitting here as Paul, fully understanding that, these are Judaizers, more than likely Pharisees, Paul's equivalent, right? And he knows what it means to call him a dog. Not at all scared of it. And even in the, the Romans and the Greek really didn't care too much for dogs either. And so it's about as big as an insult as you can get, especially if you're a Pharisee. You're evildoers, and you're dogs, and you're preaching mutilation. You're not preaching anything that sanctifies or sets apart. You're mutilating people. And you're not just mutilating. He says in other letters that you doing this, if, you, if I do this, if I give in to these Judaizers, you will sever your relationship. Why? Because you dishonor the cross. It's Christ alone or nothing, is what Paul says. So that's what's at stake, bad teaching, by really good teachers. That's the warning Jesus gives us in 24, 24. There will come a time when Antichrist will deceive, and even if they can deceive elect, that's where D.A. Carson's quote I, I said earlier, right? And this exact teaching, what Paul's addressing, probably can't happen to us today. It'd be really tough. Um, I'll get to that here toward the end. But what the warning to us is, is there's going to be false teachers. They're going to, these Judaizers preached that they knew, understood circumcision within the Old Testament just as well as Paul did. But they didn't understand it completely because Paul, it's Paul's argument, right? He argues from Scripture that I need a circumcision of the heart. One's outwardly, one's not. And just because you have an outward circumcision does not make you a Jew. A Jew is one who is one inward. So then the argument he comes is, and I tiled this, they and you cannot compare to me. So he lays this out, right? He lays out in verses 1 through 5. He says, beware the dogs, beware the evildoers, beware the false circumcisers, for we are the true circumcision. He adds himself there, so he's talking about the church. The church are the true circumcisions who worship in the Spirit of God. That's Ezekiel. And glory in Jesus alone, and we give no confidence in our flesh. None. It's all about Christ. Then he goes, if you don't want to believe that, 
Let me give you a little comparison. I, though, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to be confident, I have far more. So he goes and he says that if you want to disagree with me, and if, if these people that are going to come are talking to you want to disagree with me, I'll compare them to me. Circumcised on the eighth day. Genesis chapter 17, God commands Abraham that you will circumcise your boys on the eighth day after birth. So Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day after birth. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day after birth. And not only that, long before you ever knew Christ. Of the nation of Israel, what these Judaizers want them to become, these, these Gentile Philippians to become, is what Paul says, I was from the very birth. I was an Israelite from the very birth. And not only an Israelite, circumcised perfectly on the right day. And not only that, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And every good Israelite knows what that means. First king of Israel was a Benjamite, Saul. The Benjamites were blessed by Moses in De Deuteronomy 33. The holy city, Jerusalem, sits within the territory of the Benjamites. And they alone were, were loyal to the Davidic covenant. No other tribes were. So get what he's saying. These guys are going to come to you and tell you how great they are. Circumcised on the eighth day. Nation of Israel since birth. Not only that, I'm a Benjamite. Then he comes and he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's kind of a transition phase. It sums up the first three and sets the stage for the next three. He brings up circumcision, the nation of Israel, the tribe I was from. He goes, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So if this guy shows up and he's not a Benjaminite, he ain't as good as me. Again, he's, he's comparing to, to finally blow it all up here in a minute. As to the law, a Pharisee. He was far ahead of his contemporaries in understanding the law. He was zealous for their traditions. We see that in understanding how the traditions really point to Christ. He defines his relationship to the law. He studied it very well. He processes and arranges the law better. He understands Sabbath laws and food laws and purity laws. Then he says, as to zeal, a, pure, a persecutor of the church. How did Paul see his persecuting of the church prior to the Damascus Road? God wants me to do this. My zeal for God is I will tear this church down. I will kill them for my God. And the last one, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. And he's not saying that I'm perfect. He says that according to the law, as a Pharisee would interpret it, I have no blemishes on my record. Can you Judaizers say that? Because if they can't, they can't compare to me. Why are you listening to them? He adhered to the law as written and interpreted by the Pharisees. He's not saying that he is in right standing with God. He is saying that I am right standing with the adherences of the laws that the Pharisees should have. I upheld all the Sabbath laws. I upheld all the food laws. I upheld all the purity laws, right? These were laws that were added on. Argument is that these dogs will come to you 
and tell you that you need to be circumcised. And what they're really saying is you need to adhere as to have all the Pharisees see it. And Paul says, I'm the best at doing that. You can't get any better than me. So if you're going to sit here and compare, if you're really going to fall into that, let me tell you why you'll never be able to stand up to it. Because you can't do what I've already done. I was born an Israelite. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You will, if you get circumcised, it certainly won't be the eighth day after, so you're already out. I can't, you're, already, you're already disqualified. You can't make Genesis 17 because you're 33 years old when you get circumcised. Guess what? You're out. I'm better. Uh, as, to, as to the laws, you've already broken them. I've, I've done it ever since I was born. I'm a Benjamite. You have no trait. You have no tribe. And not only that, not only am I a Benjamite, to him, the Benjamites were the best. He's saying, can you compare that? Because that's exactly what these Judaizers are going to tell you to do. That's what they're teaching. And his answer to all this, his answer to all of this is, look how good I am. Look how good I was. Look at who I was. Can you compare that? You've already lost, Gentile. And then he says this. I count all this as dung. The most polite passage in all the Bible is found in Philippians. And dung is polite, quite honestly. I'm going to read it to you. Start in verse 7. And then I'm going to unpack the rubbish word as I get to it. So all that is my emphasis, not what the Holy Spirit said. Verse 7, but whatever things we were gained to me, that's all those things I just listed, all those seven things I just listed, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. And why are they lost? Every loss he contrasts to Christ. I can count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that I just told you about, all these privileges of being this type of a Hebrew, I don't care anymore because I have Christ. More than that, I count all these things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, or dung, or animal feces. That's what he's saying. And none of us should curl up and be scared to say it, because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say it, and I think for one really good reason. One excellent reason. Anything else that we put value in above Jesus Christ in God's view is waste. Fecal, rubbish, waste. And I say everything, because Paul says I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. Why? So that I may gain Jesus. So that I may have Christ. What Paul shows us, he, he's shown us in Philippians the whole time, but what he showed, he showed us that back in chapter 2 when he talked about um, how Christ not taking for granted God, he understood that, right? But, he, but in the humility of that, he came to suffer that 100% God, 100% man, he came to die for my sins. 
beautiful view of Christ. We call that Christology. Beautiful, beautiful Christology. And then he shows it again here. Everything I have, everything I have is dung for the surpassing knowledge of Christ. What beautiful Christology. It's where the reformers get Christ alone. Nothing can add to Christ. I'll keep reading. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. He knows where his righteousness derived from the law. He goes back to the law, right? He doesn't say circumcision here. He's, he includes it that if you're going to get circumcised, you're under the complete law, and you can't find any righteousness derived from law. All your righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what does this mean to us? Right? I'd really talk about Paul. What the text says. So how do we make it practical? I really doubt again that a Judaizer is going to come to any of us and say, you're just really not quite there. Right? You need to go do this and any more. But there's other ways that that can happen. I'm going to walk through a few. And I've, I actually was inspired by uh, John Piper's writing on this. So I've taken his thoughts and kind of rewrote them into my own. So what does this mean to us? Paul teaches, he insists that the gospel is needed to all. These are my words, not, uh, not Mr. Piper's yet. Paul teaches... He insists that the gospel is needed to all, Jews, Gentiles, all people. The Great Commission is to Israel as well as to everyone else. Anything other than that is false teaching. Pure and simple. Neither Greek nor Jew, nor the circumcised or uncircumcised, nor the slave, nor man, nor woman, all need Jesus Christ. And then he talks about loss and gain. And, and uh, I love what Piper does here because he says, okay, we've looked at this. We've looked at loss. We've looked at gain. We've looked at how Paul has said that, uh, look who I was, and I've thrown that all away. It's all rubbish to me because I have Christ. And with that comes loss. And I want to walk through a little bit of that because, again, anybody teaches differently, again, is not teaching Whenever we are called to choose anything, whether good or bad, and what I mean by good, my job, car, children, my wife, a glass of water, in this, would we choose Christ alone? In my marriage, would I choose Christ alone? When I go into my job, do I put Christ above my job? In my job, am I showing the world Christ? Number two, this means we live in such a way that we deal with things, good and bad, of this world only in ways that draw us nearer to Jesus so that we may gain Christ and enjoy him by the way we use this world. We're called to use this world. We can't all go out and become Missionaries dependent on other people to support us, or we'd all starve to death fairly soon, right? Somebody's got to be a farmer. Somebody's got to be a rancher. Somebody's got to be a truck driver. Somebody's got to work at a grocery store. 
Somebody's got to stock the grocery store. What Paul's saying is, and those are good things, right? We can't all raise our own food. Really hard to eat when you're in Manitoba to keep your vegetable garden growing in the middle of winter. You're kind of dependent on somebody else, right? So Paul would say, however we leave in such a way that we deal with the good things, food, in this world, only in ways that draw us nearer to Jesus so that we may gain Christ and enjoy him by the way we use this world. Do we ever sit down at dinner and just look at what God has given us? He could have just gave us manna every night, right? Did that for a long time. But we sit down and sometimes we have onions and the flavor and fragrance of onions. And we may, uh, Kathy makes the most wonderful tostados anywhere. She makes, she seasons the beef and cooks all day. Um, and I was, I had, uh, had the um, Nygards over the other day and I was, I'm, I'm going on my bunny tail, first bunny tail of the day. Uh, and uh, Aaron, I was telling Aaron the right way to make a, a tostado, right? And you really need to enjoy it because a well-made tostado is beautiful. It, it, if you make it right, it's got all different contrasts and you sit there and go, look what God created for me. Look at the taste and the aromas and the, and the thing he created because he loves us, right? He made all these diversities of food because he loves us. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what I love what Piper says there is that we may gain Christ and enjoy him by the way we use this world. Number three, that we will always deal with the things of the world, either good or bad, that show that they are not a treasure to us but rather Christ is my treasure and my sufficiency alone. Number four, if we lose any or all things in this world, even the good things, we will not lose our joy or our treasuring or our lives because Christ alone is our sufficiency. And anybody that teaches, any teaching, this is my words, not Dr. Piper's, any teaching that is opposed to this, Paul would say, is taught by evildoers and dogs. Be discerning, by, by being discerning, we will not fall prey to false teachers. And I want to end it again with D.A. Carson's words of wisdom. Empty-headed credulity or nativity or gullibility is a great enemy of true faith as chronic skepticism. Christian faith involves the sober responsibility of neither believing lies nor trusting imposters. I want to go to this in prayer. The joy in our salvation is found in understanding the truth of our salvation. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Scripture. We thank you for giving Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wisdom to say that many things that his brother Paul wrote were hard. They're hard. And to be very careful that evil doers and dogs will try to twist his words to their favor. So God, give us discernment and wisdom as we work through Scripture. Let us put everything through 
the filter of Christ and Christ alone. Nothing added to him, nothing taken away from him, simply him and him alone. That any teaching that adds to or takes away from the glory of Jesus Christ and the work of my salvation is false. We thank you in Christ alone and all his sufficiency and all his supremacy. Amen.